Okay, so we were on slide 28, and uh, we've just seen another influencer there with 730,000 followers. So uh, what this is saying is that, um, you know, when, a, when an influencer posts up a post on Twitter or Instagram, uh, we automatically send that message to so many other people. This is obviously why influencers are so important. So um, we're going to come back to influencers a bit later because I want to tell you more about influencers. But for now, we're just going to see other ways that brands will communicate in a different way to try and attract different audiences. So this is for Louis Vuitton, uh, slide 29, and it's for the Chinese market. They decided to do a sort of museum in a shop. It has over 1,500 pieces. It's in Shanghai. And it's a very interesting way of bringing to life a brand that maybe the Chinese don't know as well as the French uh, consumer. So um, here we can um, bring to life the brand, talk about the heritage and also promote different products. If we go to number 30, we're going to stay with Louis Vuitton. This is a pop-up shop, but as you can see, rather a glamorous pop-up shop because Louis Vuitton has lots of money to do nice pop-up shops. So this was a pop-up shop that was in a shop, and this often happens as well. And it was for uh, basically a collaboration with an artist called Kusama, who you will see on the next page. Kusama is very known for making art from dots, spots, whatever you like to call them. And as you can see, we have a very dotty uh, image here uh, as the pop-up shop. And there is a range of products on that table, as you can see, which all have dots as well, which is the unique collection that Kusama did with Louis Vuitton. So I'm going to take you to the next page, which is, which is 31. And on this slide, you will see Kusama. You can see she's quite a character. And she is a character because she basically lives in a mental home. She put herself into a mental home around 40 years ago. And she only came out of uh, the mental home and came back into real life uh, about four or five years ago when she did this collaboration with Louis Vuitton. So as you can see, uh, everything is dotty here, her dress, the window displays, the merchandising, etc., etc. So if we go to the next slide, which is number 32, you can see more of the collection. You can see more advertising, how the collection was advertised. And you can see a mini Kusama sitting on the table amongst all the products there. So what this is saying is that uh, when we collaborate, we can create a new story with a new artist who has their own special story, uh, who has their own special universe, and we can create stories around those things too. If you go to slide 33, you will see what they did to their main store, uh, which was in New York City at the same time as Kusama's first exhibition when she came out of, uh, out of hiding in her mental home. So we've gone dotty everywhere. If you look at page 34, slide 34, this talks about the fact that lots of luxury brands are now opening different types of events in their stores to attract you, Generation Z, Generation Y, uh, the millennials. 
So this is Dolce and Gabbana. They've called what they call a cultural hub. It's on Mercer Street in New York. And while you just shop there during the day, the space at night becomes a clubhouse. So it holds monthly events, concerts, and drink and draw nights. So this is becoming very popular. If you move to the next slide, you will see it during the day. So Dolce & Gabbana is quite an ostentatious brand. It's very in your face. It's quite bling bling. Um, and it, it's quite ostentatious, like I say, in terms of the interior design, as you can see, the furniture. And at night, if you look at slide 36, you will see what happens at night. It turns into a clubhouse. So, um, yeah, we have the idea that we have a darker ambience, we have music, we have different lighting, we have cool people around. On slide 37, uh, it talks about another event that, that has taken place recently for Coach. Coach is a luxury brand that you may have heard of. So Coach uh, decided to do a series of events called Life Coach. So this ties in quite well with their name. And this was all about self-discovery, which a lot of young people are into. Um, and it had no products for sale, but it was just very Instagrammable, photogenic rooms. And you basically had different um, uh, people in different rooms doing different events all around uh, self-transformation self or self-discovery. So if you move on to the next slide, 38, you will see in one room there was a tarot reader. And uh, you can see that the, the room is nothing special, actually, in terms of decoration. But it's the event that's taking place that's interesting. And if you move on to slide 39, you will see an Instagram post, um, which is from someone that worked that uh, did a crystal ball reading. So, um, yeah, this is another one of the events that took place. If you go to slide number 40, you will see that we can put stories anywhere. This story is in a fitting room inside a store. And um, on the next slide, which is slide 41, we can see that slide, um, sorry, not slide, stories in store windows are also very interesting. Uh, so, yeah. You can think about shop window displays, how the story can be brought to life in the shop, in the changing rooms, in other areas of the store, in the merchandising, etc., etc. Um, now we're going to come back to influencers because they are influencing a lot of things these days. And um, as you can see from this quote, when we work with influencers, like I said before, we have to let go and let the influencer do the work in their way. That's not to say that the influencer can just go and do anything because they are very, very carefully briefed by each brand, but they have to be given their own voice because uh, they have many followers who follow them for that reason. If we move to slide 43, you will see that 67% of marketing communication professionals engage with influencers on content promotion. This is a huge amount. Uh, on slide 44, you will see that um, depending on how many followers uh, a, 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 an influencer has, uh, they can make quite a lot of money. So if you look at YouTube, for example, 
if you have a, an influencer that has over 7 million followers, for each video they post on YouTube, they can earn up to $300,000. If you look at Instagram, for example, uh, again, if they have over 7 million followers, they can make $150,000 uh, per post and pro rata, depending on how many followers they have. Um, so you can see some are more lucrative than others, which is why we have many, many YouTubers and we have many people on Instagram and Snapchat for that reason as well, as well as Facebook. Now, if you look at Twitter, it's much less, but it can be uh, still interesting because it's a different type of uh, content that we find on Twitter. If we go to page 45, you will see that we have some of the top Instagram influencers now, what's interesting with this post is, is that we have a pricing per post and we have the media value per post. The media value is the amount of money uh, the brand would have had to have spent in advertising in other ways to achieve the same results that the influencer has. So, for example, um, we can see in the blue, yeah, we can see the price per post okay uh, but we can see that the media value the revenue from the media value is much much higher which means that uh, our return on investment is huge because we are for example reaching uh, you know millions of followers which are different to ours and a different type of target audience and these influencers can really do their work very well in this way if you move on to slide number 47, I've just given you some information here on Snapchat. You can see the prices at the bottom, um, which range from 500 euro to uh, a million a day. Uh, and uh, yeah, can be very lucrative for Snapchat with some working with some brands. And on the deliverables, you can see that we have to give quite a lot of time actually uh, sometimes to do a campaign with Snapchat because it takes, there's a process that we have to go to. So you can see we have to start, for example, on this one eight weeks before launch. So if you're working in house in a marketing communication department, you have to allow for all of these lead in times, eight weeks before launch. That means if we're launching at Valentine's Day, we need to start the campaign just before Christmas in terms of working with Snapchat. Yeah. Okay, if we move to page 48, um, we have a lot of uh, different um, tools that social media planners can use. So I'm going to give you one example, which is Content Cal. Um, these tools can be very interesting if you are moving things around day by day, uh, posting here, posting there. So if you look on the next page, you can see how Content Cal works. We can just slide uh, different things we need to do each day. We can have a photo competition on the Saturday. We can have an event in the evenings on, on the Monday and the Wednesday, for example. So we can move things around quite easily depending on what happens in our company or what's new or what we think of in terms of uh, new content. If we go to page 50, um, I'd like to end this presentation by talking to you about gaming because it's becoming quite popular with luxury brands. And um, with gaming, we have um, 
uh, a few brands that have entered this realm of working with gaming and particular games. So if we go to slide number 51, here you can see Burberry, who um, actually launched their own game, which was called Be Bounce. It's based on um, Doodle Jump, which some of you may know. It's an older game. And basically, it's launching this new range of clothes, as you can see at the bottom. They are a new weight range of warm clothes because this game is all about dodging uh, bad weather. So if you look on slide number 52, you can see B Bounce. He has to get out of the way of clouds, of rain, of snow and things like this. And at some points during the game, you can see we have uh, some clothing. Um, and it talks about the clothing in a little more detail. We can buy things in the game as well. If we go to slide number 53, we have Louis Vuitton's trophy travel case for the champion team who won the League of Legends championship in 2019. So we can see the case is very much a Louis Vuitton one, if you look at the top. And we can see how it actually looked in the game, which is uh, quite interesting. Slide 54, we have um, a game which you probably know, which is The Sims. Maybe some of you play this game. And at certain moments in The Sims, we have the Moschino collection, as you can see, and we can buy directly from the game. There are around 16 items that they developed for the game and we can buy each of them while we're playing. If we go to uh, the next slide, this is about the brand called Delvaux, which has been working around a new range of bags uh, relating to Game of Thrones. As you know, Game of Thrones, if you've, if you've watched it, has very elaborate costumes, limited edition um, uh, fashion designers and things like this working with it. So we have um, different bags here. I've just shown two of them, but they have very nice names like the Queen's Desire, the Iron Shield, the Golden Glory, the Black Beauty. We can see at the, bo at the bottom the Golden Glory and the Black Beauty. So they are styled very much around the style of Game of Thrones. Okay, so that's uh, a recap of all the examples I want to give you today. It gives you a very uh, big overview of all the different channels that you can, you can use uh, to create an interesting campaign. So if you go to slide number 56, you will see we're now talking about how does your brand story unfold. So you need to think about what each audience needs or wants to know. So you are working with Gen Z, but that's not to say that you have to forget Gen Y and the traditional uh, uh, customers of the brand. Um, so you may want to put in a few things to remind them that they are their VIP guests, they are their VIP customers, but we're now targeting as well a new audience, which is a younger one. You have to think about when do we need to communicate? So this is when you have to decide when you are going to launch your story, when it starts and when it finishes. What is the regular or preferred channel for reaching them? So with Gen Z, we know a lot of them are on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. So we have to think about those channels as well as in-store. 
as well as e-shops, as well as apps and all the other things we talked about, like the packaging, gaming, etc., etc. You have to think about what is the most effective way to get your messaging across, which is the best channel to get a part of your story across. Are you going to do an Instagram story, a little snip of a video? Are you going to do a big video on YouTube? Are you going to use your posts in different interesting ways? Um, the packaging, etc., uh, etc. Et what is the most effective way for them to interact with the story or with you, the brand? So this is where we talked about your story, having some interaction moments where maybe um, customers can upload their own stories or go and enter a competition, etc. Several messages may be needed on different channels to reach them, but remember that members of one audience may also be members of another. So you may have followers on Instagram and followers on Facebook and followers on Snapchat. Make sure you don't put exactly the same thing on all three, but put different facets of the story on those different uh, channels. So here we have um, on, pay, on slide 57, we have a sort of uh, timetable. Yeah, we have um, the different types of channels. This is just a one-month planner it's really my basic one so you can do whatever you wish it's just to give you some idea of for example we are launching on the 28th of february if you're looking on the bottom so working back from the 28th of february i just did a month's campaign so we have the different channels that we might use we could use email to um invite our current customers not our gen z ones and we can say you are our vip we'd like you to come to our event as well uh, we have facebook we have four announcements in a month we have uh, these are targeting gen z we'd like you to be there too we have um, blogs we can invite bloggers as influencers uh, we, we we can uh, send them products we can send them the story and see how they will um, uh, convert the story in their own way. Um, so we have Snapchat, be a character in our story. We can have some filters or some face lenses. We can have YouTube where we have the full story, and that gets um, shared on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, etc., or on Instagram TV. And we have um, the Instagram so here we're going to interact with people. We hope they're going to comment on our story. We can interact with them a lot. And um, as you can see, we also have different hashtags we may use throughout as well. You've got a hashtag on the YouTube one. You've got a hashtag on the Instagram one. Uh, think about the hashtags that you want to use on the different channels. And at the bottom, we have a celebrity influencer pop-up event. Um, it's to launch the story experience it's to existing customers in gen z it has specific hashtags and it's launched on the 28th of february it may cost may more than way more than 50000 may cost 500000 etc as we're talking about luxury brands um, don't worry about the budget uh, at all it was just to give you an idea but what you do have to worry about is when it starts when it finishes and the different channels and the objective of those channels the audience you're trying to meet, and the message you're trying to send. 
So on page slide 58, um, as I said to you before, when you're writing your story, you needed to think about the different important, interesting parts of your story. How will your story unfold and when? And which channels will you use to reach your customers? And finally, on slide 59, you will find a whole um, breakdown of what you have to do for your final presentation. So uh, as you saw from, as two of the groups saw from presentations I gave the other day, and I will put those presentations on the OneDrive as well so the other group can also see them and you can all refer back to them. You have to give a little recap at the start on your first five slide presentation. Then you have to talk about your communication strategy, the key audience, which is Gen Z, the communication channels you want to, to reach, the planning strategy. Then you have your creative output, what are your communications going to look like? What is your story going to really, how's it going to evolve visually? Um, the hashtags, uh, the slogan, if you wish, and your social media communications. You should have done three posts by now or very soon, depending on your timing. Um, following on from the Tiffany um, podcast and presentation that I gave you the other day. So you should have done some of those posts. And your offline communication, we're talking about uh, multimedia storytelling. So we need to look at online and offline. And so the in-store experience, the street marketing, the point of sale, the posters, merchandising, in-store events, anything you can think of that can be interesting to bring your story to life. Now, in a real ideal world, if we were still seeing each other, you would um, present in 15 to 20 minutes. Obviously, we're working in a virtual world now. And so um, I will send you information on how you could present this work eventually. But I imagine that you're going to do a PowerPoint and you could do an oral podcast, as I have done for these presentations. You could use Anchor which is the podcast uh, that I used. But if you do a podcast, I will need to hear all of you because obviously it's about speaking English as well. Or if you prefer, you can do a video. Uh, you can video so yourselves individually and you can edit it and you can put it together and you can present that at the same time as you send me your PowerPoint. So have a think about that. Decide... Um, what might be interesting for you, and I can give you some guidelines a bit later as well. So I'd like to thank you for listening. Um, and uh, there are obviously two podcasts that you can re-listen to if anything is unclear. If you go to the very last page, again, you will see my contact details um, on uh, email and Skype. And so don't hesitate to get in contact with me if you have any queries. Okay, anyway, have a lovely evening or a lovely day, depending on when you are listening to this. I hope everything has been clear. Keep well and keep safe. Bye for now. Hi there, everyone. Uh, this is the last presentation that I will give you uh, for the end of your projects. So this one is about uh, your communication strategy. 
and the presentation um, should be looked at at the same time as this podcast. Okay, so I'm going to take you through each slide as I did before with the Tiffany presentation, and I'm going to explain each one. Okay, so the first title is One Brand Story, Many Points of Entry, One Key Strategy. Uh, this is to say that you have now got your brand story, you've done your storyboard, and now you have to think about how you develop that as a communication strategy. So the many points of entry are the many different channels that you can use, and you have one strategy which has to be coherent. Okay, so slide two, uh, I'm going to talk to you about omnichannel storytelling. Uh, but first of all, I want to talk to you about the effects that storytelling strategies have on every part of an organization. So in the middle, you will see in red the big idea. And around that, you will see all the different departments within a company and how they are organized around a new strategy. So, for example, with the brand planning at the top, we have the planning of uh, at what step, at what date uh, is that strategy going to take place? What time is it going to end? And what are all the steps we need to think about between the, the start and the end? So that's the planning part. Then we have the positioning, which comes in the marketing communications department. So the positioning of the brand as it is at the moment, and maybe the repositioning of the brand to target Generation Z. What are the things we need to think about in terms of positioning? Uh, the products, maybe we can make some new colors in the products, maybe we can um, uh, reposition in the marketplace because before we weren't really positioning Generation Z. So uh, we have to really think about how we're going to reposition uh, a particular range of products or a particular service to a new audience. Then we have the consumer. They need to know from your story what are the values that you are projecting. So the values can be uh, from the heritage of the brand, as we discussed, they can be from the products, they can be from the values of the brand, um, etc, etc. So the proposition is really important to the consumer, that they understand this comes from the brand that you have chosen. The product roadmap, a roadmap, I don't know if you've heard of this expression, but it's how you're going to get from A to Z. Yeah, in a very um, efficient way. So uh, if there are new products to be developed, uh, I don't think any of you are developing new products, but if you had a strategy for a company that involved new product development, all of that has to be programmed in to be launched, obviously, uh, at a, a particular moment of the year. Then we have the people and culture. So this is about the people working in stores, the people working online. Uh, how do they project the same story? How do they communicate the same story? It could be social media managers. It could be store staff. It could be changing room fitting staff. It could be many things. Uh, those people, they have to understand the culture of the brand and the culture of your storytelling strategy. Then, of course, we have the profits. So this is the um, financial department, um, and we have to see the results of this strategy. It might cost quite a lot to put this strategy in place, and we need to make sure that we have uh, profits based on, on this strategy. 
Then we have the sales. Uh, we go to market. How are we going to sell the products? Where are we going to sell them? We may have a pop-up shop. We may have a new display uh, in a store. We may have uh, products being sold online directly from Instagram. We may have many, many strategies for sales. So uh, these have to be thought about. So that's the end of that slide. We're going to move on to slide number four. And here we have a quote, which is talking about the fact that uh, when we are on our telephones, when we are skipping from one channel to the next, um, we can become a bit lost with uh, communications from one brand. We may be working on a, we may be reading a blog. Uh, we may only finish twenty percent of a post. Uh, we may then swap to Facebook. Uh, we may then go to LinkedIn. You know, everything needs to be coherent in terms of the brand communication, but also in terms of the brand story eventually. We're now going to move to slide five. So here we have a slide that talks about multi-channel communications, cross-channel communications, and omni-channel communications. We are really focusing on omni-channel communications on your storytelling strategy. So that means that we have the customer in the heart of this um, story. And as you can see from the text at the bottom, it's a singular experience across all channels. No matter which channel we go to during the time that you have launched your storytelling strategy, if we go to your website, we may see a dedicated microsite like you saw with Tiffany. If we're on our phone, we may go on Instagram. If we receive an invitation, it may have the same look and feel. If we go to the shop at the bottom, what, what are we seeing there? Which products are have you dedicated just for Gen Z, for example? So the other two are other strategies that can be used, and I'm not really going to focus on those. I'm going to focus on the omni-channel, okay? So... As you probably know, because you've done your research, uh, we have this um, flux at the moment between heritage and digital. A lot of uh, luxury brands have really jumped on to digital very well, but there are still very many, as you've seen, because you chose them for your projects, which are not really targeting young generations uh, in a very um, efficient or interesting way. So this is what this is about. We have to find the right balance between retaining the heritage of the brand and modernizing that through digital channels. So if we move to slide seven, this is called breadcrumb marketing, as you can see. And this is talking about the fact that uh, we may scatter breadcrumbs, you know, across different channels. But wherever we scatter them, we may have the same message. So... Um, what, what this is saying is that omni-channel omni marketing doesn't make it more difficult to tell a single story. It actually makes it much more easier to tell a different story because you can tell different parts of your story on different channels, but wherever the consumer, the Gen Z consumer goes, they will feel like they are seeing the same story but a different part of it. So this is why it's important for you to think about where am I going to show this part on the, of the storyboard on, on which social media channel? Where am I going to show this part? Is it going to be in a store? Is it going to be uh, 
uh, at an event, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you really have to think about this idea of breadcrumb market marketing. If we move to slide eight, uh, you can see this is a, a diagram from Google, and it's talking about the fact that today we are moving from offline to online, back to offline, back to online a lot when we are buying things. So we may go, uh, as you can see from the 44%, 44% of people research online and buy products online. 51% research online, but visit a store to purchase the product. 17% visit a store first to check the quality of the product, to check the colours maybe, to check the brand as well if they've never bought it. But they may go back online because they can find it a little more cheaper online or from another seller, or they just want to have the convenience of having it delivered to their door uh, a few days later. So 32%, as you can see from the bottom in yellow, research online, visit the store to view the product, and then return online. So they're going online, offline, online. So where are they going online the first time? Where are they going online the, the second time? You may have two parts of your story, but they may be in different places at each time. So we're going to move to slide number nine. This is about web, room, web rooming and showrooming. And so this is this phenomenon of people browsing in stores, then going online. So that is showrooming. They use the stores like a showroom. They go in the store, they check the quality, they talk to the seller, they find out more information, they look at the colors, they really decide what they want, and then they go online. Now, as you can imagine, this is really irritating for the seller because uh, he wants to make a deal. He wants to sell something. And uh, if we look at the other one, web rooming, we browse online. We do a lot of research online. Uh, we see the type of product that we'd like to buy from one brand. We compare it with another brand. But eventually, we come back and we buy it in a store. This is because we want to have the service of the brand, the luxury service. We want to go into the store, which is lovely. We want to have the experience. And we want to have the nice packaging that comes with uh, buying a product in a store with the bag and everything like this. So if we move to slide 10, uh, we have here the different types of mobile assisted shoppers. And uh, as you can see from the top, part, we have the traditionalists who prefer the shopping experience in the in-store environment. We have the experience seekers. They value the experience, not just the price. That experience can be online or offline. We also have the exploiters. These are premeditated about lower prices. They go to buy something for the lower price, wherever it is. We have the savvies. They are calculating on price, but they can be persuaded by store staff or by chats online, things like this, to take another product. We have the price sensitives. They don't plan, but they always opt for good deals. If you look at the chart at the bottom, age distribution of M shoppers, you'll see here what's quite interesting is that um, you probably have the view that older people don't use um, social media, 
for example. Well, this shows you that uh, a lot of people are M shopping, mobile shopping, and they're pretty much the same, 20, 22, 26, 26%. depending on the sort of age bracket. So yes, it's true that we have slightly less people um, over 40 who are buying, but not that much. Yeah, so um, this is quite interesting. So for luxury, it's very interesting to be on digital because they can be attracting the generation Z and Y, but they can also be attracting the older generations too. If you go to slide 11, Uh, I've just put this in because uh, we're talking about some mass wealthy people in the world, particularly in China and India when it comes to um, luxury brands. And in China, 92% of all the luxury brands have an official account on WeChat. So uh, we have to think about this when we are doing international communication campaigns Uh, China doesn't have at all the same social media channels that we have in Europe. Uh, It has totally different channels. It doesn't have Facebook. It doesn't have uh, a few other things like Twitter. So um, if you're trying to target Chinese customers or maybe Indian customers or from other parts of the world, don't assume that they have the same social media channels. On the next page, page uh, page 12, we have a video about uh, the QR code and how it's used in China. So I thought you might like to see that. Um, it shows you that the QR code is certainly not dead and it's being used a lot in China. So I'm going to let you look at that video. You can turn off your podcast and you can come back when you're ready. Okay, so uh, you've looked at that video. It's quite amazing, isn't it, how we can buy so many things with the QR code. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is going to come very much to uh, uh, France and Europe. When I was in Copenhagen recently, everything was QR codes as well. Uh, so, yeah, I had to download a QR code uh, app to deal with a lot of things. Um, As you can see uh, on slide 13, we have Gucci with its QR code. I have no idea what the Chinese uh, text is saying, but um, the QR code is giving us a lot of information about uh, this particular product or service. And as you can see with the Polo Ralph Lauren one at the bottom, we have the Um, the tag in the garments that we have bought, but we also have a QR code where we can go and find other information about that product or associated products. So if we move on to um, slide number 14, omnichannel marketing. So as I said at the start, we're going to be really focusing on this channel. Uh, and uh, it's very interesting um, for us to look at a few examples of how this works. So I'm going to give you now an example um, of uh, a brand which is using different channels um, around the same storytelling, okay? So it gives you an idea of the types of uh, channels you can use. So if you click on slide 16, you'll see we have the Verve Clicquot Tales, I don't know if you know Verve Clicquot, but it's a luxury champagne, and it's a very uh, has a very long heritage, and it's very known for this orangey yellow 
everything it does has this orangey yellow. Well, this is a podcast, the first one. I'm not going to ask you to listen to it necessarily, but you can go off and listen to it on your own. The podcast is about uh, Madame Clicquot. Uh, Madame Clicquot was a very brave and courageous woman because uh, at the age of, I think she was around 30, 32, something like this, her husband died. This was a long time ago in the 1800s. And uh, Madame Clicquot, um, she had to start running the business single-handed or she decided to run the business single-handed. And so the Verve Clicquot Tales are a series of podcasts which start with um, this particular one, which is about Madame Clicquot and her journey because um, she loved traveling. And uh, basically, after her husband died, she decided to voyage around the world and to go to different places to export and to market the Verve Clicquot brand. So um, if you click on page 18, you will see here uh, a very particular piece of packaging that was developed um, for this storytelling. So packaging is also a medium that you can use. So we have in the middle, we have a sort of travel case where we have several bottles of champagne inside. And uh, as you can see from the left-hand side image, we have different destinations. These are packs for the champagne, but the top of them comes off and it can be, uh, it's a magnetic sticker and it can be put on your fridge or on other places uh, in your home. So as you can see from the right-hand side, there was an event that was launched with all the destinations that Madame Clicquot, Clicquot went to. And uh, you can see all the destinations on the pole in the middle there. And you can see this was an event to uh, really get across this story around, around her travels. If we go to slide number 19, you can see in a little more detail uh, the bottle um, sitting in the box there. So you can see how we have a very nice box um, with the Verve Clicquot Journey. And uh, it's, it's again like a little travel case. Now, the other interesting thing with Verve Clicquot is that uh, recently, as you can see from 2013 to 2015, their story has changed slightly. It's an ecological story because they've been really experimenting with uh, different natural products to make packaging. So you can see from 2013 and 2014, the packaging here was um, a mix of uh, um, potatoes, uh, potato starch and other materials and in 2015 they decided to make their box from um, the skins of grapes that were no longer used they had tons of them can you imagine when you're making champagne or wine all of the skins are not used and so they decided in 2015 to upcycle them when we upcycle things we make them into a higher quality product so they upcycled the grape skins. They mixed it with uh, other recycled materials. And here you have a new box with a new story. It's a much more ecological story. 
If you click on the next page, you can see that box on every face. So you can see uh, it's telling you on the left hand, on the right hand side, sorry, how the grapes are made into a box. Uh, and we have a very natural box just with uh, uh, one color printing. And then they stick the yellow label on top to make it more ecological. And the bottle cooler on the right-hand side uh, is made from cork, so another natural material. If we move to slide 22, we have uh, Yellowween instead of Halloween. So we can play around with moments in the year and create stories on the packaging and things like this. So it can be interesting for you to think of packaging as well as other things. Okay, if we move to slide 23, I'm going to show you some pop-up and in-store experiences. I don't know if you know what a pop-up shop is, but it's as it sounds, it pops up and then it goes away again very quickly. So a pop-up shop may be just around for a few days, it may be there for a week, it may be there for a few months. And uh, it's about uh, giving you a unique experience. It's very much used by luxury brands to target uh, Gen Z and millennials because um, sometimes luxury shops can be quite threatening. You might feel like you really don't want to go inside. It's too posh. Uh, the people seem a bit um, serious, we could say. So they've created lots of pop-up uh, ideas for events and uh, for selling particular ranges in different types of shops. I'm going to take you through some of those. So uh, we have here on the next slide, number 24, these are some of the Hermes scarves. So I'm going to take you on a little journey with Hermes to start with. So if you look on page 25, slide 25, you will see that we have um, a sort of diner. Yeah, so there's two different types of diner here. There's the one at the bottom on the right hand side, which is really like a diner, American diner. And there's the one at the top, which is called the Silk Bar, which is the one that you can see in the main image. And this one was made in a shipping container. A shipping container is usually uh, quite a low-cost uh, product, like a couple of thousand euros. Uh, so it's a very big departure from the Hermes uh, uh, normal store, which costs hundreds of thousands of euros to produce. So it's like a diner inside. You can see you sit on a stool like a diner. You sit at the bar and you order your scarves, which are, as you can see, they're above above you on the roof. They're also um, displayed, as you can see, by the simple display on the side there. And uh, so this is a new way of targeting younger people. Okay, on slide 26, you can see what's called the Hermesmatic. It's a type of uh, laundrette, a lavery, as you say in, in French. And uh, this is a pop-up shop where you can go, you can take your old Hermes scarf and you can re-dye it. There are two or three colours you can use to re-dye it. Okay. So I'm going to show you next um, an influencer who did a video about this pop-up shop. So you can see the effect that the influencer has on the shop because she adds her own touch of artistic excellence, as you will see. She's a very good dancer. 
um, and a, a totally different personality to Hermes. So um, this is quite interesting when we work with influencers. Uh, we have to be able to give up uh, the narrative. We have to give the narrative to the influencer and leave her or him to promote something in their own way. So I'm going to let you look at that video and I'll come back to you in a moment. Okay. So, uh, as you can see, she had quite a personality. Um, so, uh, on the next page, which is slide 28, you can see some uh, social media posts about the Hermesmatic. So you can see on the first one that there were students invited to an event, a pop-up event, with talks from Fiona Rushton and Alice Shirley from the Fashion Institute. So this is another thing that can be interesting, is when you have your pop-up, you can have other pop-up events which pop up with it in the evenings, in the mornings, for apero, uh, different things like this. You'll also see that we have another post uh, at the bottom there from another influencer who has 730,000 followers. 